The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara and welcome to a special Christmas episode of Retail Therapy. Christmas is right around the corner marking the peak season for the retail industry. This upcoming festive trading period holds immense significance for retailers, especially those in the discretionary sector, as they typically generate up to two-thirds of their annual profits during this one period. Now joining me for some retail therapy today is Professor Gary Mortimer. Gary Mortimer is a Professor of Marketing and Consumer Behaviour at the QUT Business School. Prior to joining QUT, Professor Mortimer spent over 25 years working with some of Australia's largest general merchandise and food retailers. So it's great to see you again, Gary. Uh, hi, Paul. Great to, uh, great to be uh, back on air with you. Now, thanks for joining us. So, Gary, let's start off with the big picture. What's in store, do you think, for Christmas for retailers this year? Given the cost of living pressures many consumers are facing this year, how do you anticipate this will affect their spending habits during the Christmas season? Well, Paul, if I if I sort of summarise it to one word, I suggest the word I'd be using is subdued. Um, listen, it's not going to be a disaster, but it's also not going to be a record year for retailers across the board. I know it's been projected we'll spend about $67 billion um, in the six weeks leading into Christmas. Listen, that's almost in line with last year. There's certainly a couple of sectors that are probably more exposed to those cost of living pressures. They'll find it a little more, I guess, challenging this year. Hospitality predicted to be down about just over 4%, but food and groceries slightly up by about 25 And what that would suggest that people are going to choose to actually cater, uh, cook at home and, and, uh, and uh, I guess, d- dine at home rather than go out and have those Christmas lunches and Christmas dinners, which we've probably done in the past, household goods slightly down, just over three percent uh, on last year. Uh, and again, if we think about those last three years we've had during COVID, we bought a lot of household goods, a lot of outdoor furniture, a lot of consumer electronics. So probably less desire to buy those again this year. And clothing only just slightly down. So footwear, clothing, accessories, that discretionary uh, category. I wouldn't see exciting things there, but certainly not not a disaster. Now, there's some really good points you raised there, Gary, and those people listening, if you want to get the full category breakup, you're welcome to jump on our website, retail.org.au. But I wanted to flesh out with you, Gary, a little around um, the consumer psychology. Now, how do you think, um, given the research you do, can retailers tap into the mindset of that budget-conscious shopper that's um, going to be shopping this year? Because, um, you know, clearly households under 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 uh, complete pressure. So how do retailers go about creating that compelling shopping experience? Yeah, it's really interesting. When we think about that budget-conscious consumer, we, we tend to think about slashing prices, we think about promotions, we think about discounting. And listen, the budget-conscious consumer is no different from any other consumer that's in the marketplace. They all seek value. It's just that the budget-conscious consumer seeks more value, or in other words, more bang for their buck when they go shopping. And value is quite a complex, I, I guess, dimension to think about because there's different elements of value. We, we think about time and convenience value. And if you think you're a budget-conscious shopper, 
Um, you know, you, you need to work. You don't want to spend a lot of time wandering around shopping centres looking for things. So retailers that make it easy, um, you know, click and collect, delivery to boot, online shopping will start to swell this year because it just means I can work those extra shifts that I need to do and I can do my shopping on the train on the way home at lunchtime or in the evenings. I don't need to, you know, battle shopping centres. Transactional value, so, you know, offering different ways to pay. So we'll see buy now, pay later really lift again this year and, and payment plans and instalment plans that make it just easy for people to uh, who are on a budget to budget and actually uh, access those goods. We think about utilitarian value. So, you know, buying products that will last and don't need to repl be replaced in sort of six and eight months' time, that's what that budget-conscious shopper's looking for. And then, of course, we've got financial value. So things like free returns, replacement, extended warranties. If I'm going to spend some money and I'm on a budget, I want it to last a lot longer. And then, of course, at the end of the day, we all shop for that recreational social experience. So, you know, free activities, Santa visits, colouring in competitions, things that keep the kids busy in the retail stores so mum and dad can go out and do that grocery shopping. No, so you raised some really good points there, Gary, and I think, you know, often when we talk about the budget consumer, we immediately go to the lowest price. Yeah. Um, in people's minds. In fact, it's much broader than that. And you've helped clarify that. And you've also give retailers hope that are probably, you know, the selling brands that are selling more premium product, that it's not just about, so they're going to have to compete, not necessarily on price, but more around that whole set of convenience and those payment plans you spoke about. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what are some of the innovative ways retailers can differentiate themselves, do you think, and stand out during this holiday season? Yeah, listen, I guess when you think about product uh, and brand, it's often very difficult to differentiate yourself. I mean, a box of Lego is a box of Lego, a Barbie doll is a Barbie doll. Um, so unless there's a compelling reason to walk through your front door and buy that product with you, people will simply just shop on price. Um, but when you think about service and customer experience, that's where I think uh, retailers can really differentiate themselves. And often I ask a question of retailers when I'm consulting or doing industry work is, yeah, have a look at what your competitors are not doing and do that. So, you know, I think about sort of free gift wrapping services. That's something different that your competitor down the road is probably not doing. Or do you team up with a charity group and do sort of a gold coin donation to do some free wrapping uh, in store? I think about loyalty programs that return more than just simply points, but maybe discounts or free product samples or, or events. Um, Paul, I know you and I were in New York um, earlier this year looking at innovative technology at the, uh, the, the National uh, Retailers Federation big show. So I think about um, augmented reality I think about Pokemon Go, but doing it within a store. I think about smart mirrors, um, having fun within a store yes. and creating a dynamic atmosphere. So being able to walk around, do a bit of a treasure hunt. Um, I, I was getting a haircut recently, was offered a beer in the barber shop. So it was sort of like, this is what this barber is doing that's different from their competitors. So I'd move away from simply product and brand and think about what can I do that doesn't actually uh, touch on product or brand, but actually just differentiate, difference the entire, uh, I guess, customer experience. No, and look, that's it's, it's amazing actually how quick a year has gone when you think about NRFA <laughs> in January earlier this year and uh, what we saw technology-wise. But I think we're starting to see that live out even further. And artificial intelligence will save that for another another podcast to discuss yeah. it. But um, you know, it's those sorts of examples. I think you know, uh, if you haven't pursued that uh, as a strategy just yet, we haven't seen a lot of it um, take force in Australia, but it's starting to appear certainly um, around the country, particularly in, in self-service checkouts and, and on yep. websites, etc. So that technology investment, I think for those that haven't uh, invested pre-Christmas uh, need to start thinking about that in the year 
to come. But the technology solutions is really where, I guess, Gary, you would see productivity improvements in organisations. Productivity, gamification, innovation. I mean, that, that's what shoppers are now looking for, that a product's a product wherever you buy it, in-store or online. But what, how, how are you different and how is that experience of actually purchasing going to be different from the competitor down the road? Now, tell me, are there specific demographics or segments of consumers that are likely to be more affected by cost of living pressures, do you think? Uh, And should retailers employ any strategies considering this? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, obviously, the narrative in the last year, certainly the last 18 months, is cost of living crisis and the mindset that everybody is doing it tough. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, you know, we've got people that just simply don't have a mortgage yet. They're under the age of 25. They're probably still at university, probably still living at home. Um, yeah, yeah, unemployment rate is an incredibly low rate. We know we've got retailers screaming out for staff. So if you're a young person, you can get lots of hours and you can earn lots of money and have no overhead. So they're shopping. And then we've got the over 50 They've probably paid off their mortgage, maybe moving into early retirement. They're living off a really good superannuation scheme. It's just the the market in the middle, the 25 to 55, mum and dad or two parents, a couple of kids. One parent has probably stopped work to look after the kids. There's school fees coming in. It's that market that's really struggling in the marketplace currently. So I guess if you're a retailer and your product or your service is really targeted to that that, that family group, that sort of middle class, single income at the moment uh, group, you're going to be more exposed to that consumer that's going to, um, I, I guess, be more frugal this year. Um, all is not lost. I mean, we just spoke about different types of value. And if you know that you've got to deal with a budget conscious consumer or a consumer that's going to be very frugal, I'd be going back and looking at those elements of value and trying to, I guess, leverage at least one or two of them to really sort of connect well with your uh, your customers. Like I said, at the end of the day, no one's going to cancel Christmas. We're still going to do Christmas, but people will be more informed in their decision making and they'll probably be a little bit more frugal than they were last year. Mm, good, Good points. Are there any specific consumer psychological insights that retailers should keep in mind when designing their Christmas marketing campaigns, do you think? Yeah, it's really interesting. I will start to see the uh, the TVCs, the, the television commercials and the radio commercials start to hit the airways, it's certainly in the next couple of weeks. And a lot of the imagery is around often picnic tables or dining room tables and, and families and loved ones and aunties and uncles and grandparents and kids running around. That often isn't the, the reality of Christmas for many people. We have, uh, you know, we have an ageing population, we have a widowing effect, we have more single households, we have people that may not be going home this year for Christmas. They may be working um so so you know i I think about sort of self-gifting or or self-directed consumption and um you know if if you don't have a gift to buy for somebody most people will buy it for themselves so you know running campaigns around you you deserve this you should go out and buy something nice for yourself and we've done a bit of research around that sort of self-gifting um i guess psychology the other one is delayed gratification i know certainly you know we've spoken about younger cohorts of consumers that are very much about immediate gratification buy now pay later products have really sort of leveraged that but there'll be a lot of families out there that have saved all year looking forward to the end of year holidays and doing something nice with their family and i think it's that delayed gratification where they've saved the money so the campaigns should be around listen you've worked really hard all year now is the time to celebrate and the other one we should probably look at is even post christmas as we move closer to christmas people will be thinking what am i going to do in the new year and if you're like me we're all going to try and get fit we're all going to get healthy so it'll be things around so now's the time to buy the exercise equipment now's the time to buy the active wear now's the time to buy the camping equipment because in the new year this is what you plan to do so 
have a sort of a, a focus moving forward, I guess. Now, I'm interested in your view here, Gary, because I, I think this is an interesting point around uh, there's been such a move towards sustainability and uh, ethics and values-based shopping, um, and we know that's been really important to shoppers, uh, particularly younger demographics or younger cohorts. Do you expect this might change with cost of living pressures, or do you think this still will be a significant factor? Yeah, this is very much around value alignment. It's about, you know, we will have cohorts of consumers out there who are very focused on ethical consumption, ethical sourcing, green products, eco-friendly products. Um, you know, and we know that, that that if you're a retailer and you promote that element of your business, that you're a very ethical sourcing uh, you know, business, that you're going to attract that customer where that value is aligned. I think the challenge, of course, we face, though, is this, this gap between um, intentions and behaviours. So we all want to be ethical consumers. We all want to buy eco-friendly or environmentally friendly products. We all want to reduce waste. Uh, we all want to buy locally. But at the end of the day, there's these barriers. Sometimes they're financial barriers, like I just can't afford to do it and I'm just going to have to buy what I can buy. And sometimes it's psychological barriers, like, you know, I, I don't know I don't know where these the, the, you know, these cheap T-shirts come from or I don't know where these products come from, but it's so far out of mind, I'm just going to make the purchase anyway. Listen, I do think as a retailer, is it important to sort of promote those sort of you know, ethical and sustainability and, and, and uh, environmental uh, factors in your business because they are important? How important they are, I think, as costs of living increase, they become less important for struggling families. Now, I know we lived through the last couple of Christmases. In fact, there have been record numbers, and you mentioned that when we in earlier in this podcast. Um, and we also saw uh, year on year that most consumers were doing their shopping earlier. When do you think, now that we're out of COVID, do you think consumers will continue to do their, their shopping earlier? When do you think most consumers will will actually give Christmas a, a strong focus? Well, Paul, I guess if it's me, probably I'll start on the 23rd of <laughs> December like I normally do. Uh, as a retail expert, I always leave it to the last minute and I don't know why I do it every year. Um, food obviously will be a last-minute purchase decision, particularly the fresh, the fruit, and certainly the seafood. Maybe the week out, it'll be hams and meat and those types of products. I think when it comes to food, shoppers will start to you know, start to stockpile those pantry items in the coming weeks. Um, when it comes to general merchandise, it'll be spread across across the entire six weeks. I suspect probably families are doing it uh, right now, maybe buying one or two items um, each week so they're not taking that big hit in December. I think one factor that we will see really push those purchases right to the end is the growth of buy now, pay later. And we think about lay-by, and I remember when I worked in, in retail, we'd have the big toy sales in sort of September. Uh, families were using lay-by not necessarily to facilitate um, I, I guess, transactions throughout a period of time and spread that cost out. They were doing it to hide gifts away and products away from prying eyes. And as we've moved away from lay-by and buy now, pay later has really become that modern-day, um, I guess, lay-by equivalent, um, families are going, well, where do I put this stuff? Where, where? Because the kids will find it. Mm. Mums and dads and loved ones will find it. So I think bearing that in mind, you may find that, you know, those big purchases won't happen until probably into, into December. Uh, and then the question is, where do I hide them before the, the kids see them? What type of gifts? I mean, you just touched on a few of those earlier around, particularly around the folks around help. But what type of gifts do you think will be in hot demand this year? 
Yeah, the, the big one I'm seeing is drones. Like, you know, drones were originally you know, something that kids played with in the park. Uh, drones are getting incredibly expensive. We've seen JB Hi-Fi and certainly Harvey Norman really playing this space a great deal. Um, yeah, it's estimated there will be a 30% increase in drone purchases uh, over the next five years, so between now and about 2028. Uh, and it's not just kids using these things. It, it's people that want to follow sports, people are going on holidays. I've been on holidays recently. People have drones up in the sky over beaches, over landscapes. So drones will be in hot demand. Who's I managing? I want to know who's managing the air traffic for all these drones. Who's going to ha- they're going to have to be somebody policing it, I think. Well, and the things are just getting more and more expensive, and uh, and certainly the imagery I often see, and I'm sure your, your listeners will see on uh, on socials, is amazing landscapes taken by a drone. So I think that that'll be the big one. Esports um, just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's a billion dollar industry in the US. Um, here on campus, we've got an esports um, uh, uh, arena. I was in uh, Monterey Tech in Mexico. They have a big esports arena. So esports is growing pretty big. So, so just explain, tech, yeah. So that's that's gaming. I'm, I'm assuming but, that, that's yeah. gaming. Yeah, gaming at, at a really high level. It's not just sitting in your lounge room, but it's actually participating in this stuff and um, moving away from the old PlayStation. But certainly, we'll see consoles, larger monitors, better of sound equipment, better lighting. So th- th- there'll be some big hits there for esports. Digital gift cards, like, you know, w- we complain about gift cards all the time because they're like cash. You buy a gift card and it gets lost in the mail or you drop it in the car park, it's gone for good. But digital gift cards enable you to immediately send product uh, or, or that value to somebody by email or via a digital app. Uh, and you don't lose it. It just doesn't go missing. It's in your phone and you can and, and you can go from there. And I think the other one we, we really started to see grow is experiences um, and, and not just products and services anymore, but things like grooming, spa treatments, glamping, day tours, wine tasting events, dining out. So I, I think we'll see a bit of product, but I also think we'll see a lot of experiences as gifts this year. Now, as we look ahead, what do you see as the key takeaways and lessons that retailers should should carry forward to future holiday seasons, because we do um, we are seeing these this Christmas obviously uh, the different economic conditions than what we have seen in the past, and it's always a roller coaster. You know we have ups and downs in the industry, but um, yeah, what what would you say would be the key takeaways and lessons for for, for holidays just generally? Yeah, look, I guess my key takeaway is, is really understand your customer and how they are changing, and and consumers change all the time, so. Look for those shifts in consumption. We talked about, um, you know, sustainability and, and ethical purchasing. So that that's a that's an emerging trend, and often these trends happen at a micro level within your sector, within your area, within your state, or at a macro level. I think about micro. You know, what's what's the competitor doing down the road? Is there a new development that you should be aware of? Is there expansion of a particular suburb where you're just about to launch a new business? And then those macro level environmental factors that you spoke of, Paul, the cost of living. But we'll start to see interest rates start to stabilise now. We would hope to see sort of interest rates start to fall a little bit at the back end of next year. So I think 12 months in advance, you know, if we start to see interest rates start to soften up a bit, people will start to free up cash and they'll want to go out and start to buy things. In five years' time, what we bought five years ago during COVID uh, will start to date. We'll start to look at buying new computers, new notebooks, new phones, those types of things, so replacements, uh, and watch those emerging trends. Now, I know that um, the Australian Retailers Association, you have a great research um, hub there where you've got those research insights. So they're very short uh, research insights, 800 words, um, downloadable, uh, and they're all coming from sort of peer-reviewed new research. So 
if I was a retailer and I wanted to stay informed and understand what's changing with consumers, is go there and actually have a look at those uh, those resources. Gary, always great to catch up with you. Thanks for joining us for some retail therapy. Have a Merry Christmas and a wonderful New Year. Take care, Paul. Cheers.